What up, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Black Expat Podcast. I'm excited to be rocking with you guys for another episode. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by another wonderful guest. I have almost wrapped up the Her Story, part one, part two, and part three coming out next week. And I'm excited to jump into his story, part one, with an amazingly talented entrepreneur and multifaceted human being, KG, who's also out here in Taiwan with us, but hails from Detroit. But I don't want to get too much into his story. I will allow him to talk to us about what he has going on, et cetera, et cetera. So again, I'm honored and excited to be joined by such an amazing individual. And once he calls in, we'll get right into the interview. Uh, before he does that, though, make sure you guys check out my YouTube. I have just finished up my 10-part series on my travels through Kenya. Make sure you go and subscribe to the YouTube and check out those videos and my new articles I have linked on, I've written and linked to this podcast on Medium. So yeah. I always get a lot of calls in about, hey, uh, get some more black men that are out in Taiwan on the podcast. So again, I've just been fortunate enough to be able to do that. Um, and I'm just excited to get, get everything started and get things underway once KG calls into the show. Um, each person I've interviewed has been unique in some way. Um, it's been in Taiwan for a long period of time, a short period of time, and again, are just multifaceted and doing a bunch of different things. So again, KG, I'm somebody that I met uh, quite some time ago. I'm actually curious to, to see if he remembers actually how we first met um because you know i've been in taiwan i don't remember exactly how long he's been in taiwan but i know i've been in taiwan a little bit longer i think but how we first met was just just an epic night right because i kind of transitioned out of the nightlife uh, and going out and partying as much as i used to when i first came my first seven years in taiwan uh, but on this night i was just like you know what it's time for me to get back out there uh, do some different things meet some new people uh so yeah it was just you know, just a good way of going about uh, doing things. So, yeah, once he's ready to call into the show, we will go ahead and get his interview started with KG. So welcome to the Black Expat Podcast, KG. It's more than a pleasure having you here. How are you doing this afternoon, this morning in, uh, in Taiwan? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Just woke up a few minutes ago. Did you have a busy night last night? Yeah, busy playing 2K. Playing 2K? Wait, which which uh, team do you play with when you play 2K? Uh, oddly, I use the Pelicans because I like Zion with. So he's unstoppable oh. on 2K. Oh, okay. I used to always play with Derrick Rose when, uh, when, when the Bulls were good uh, 40 years ago. But now I don't even I have a team. That's a throwback. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even have a team anymore. I think if I did play, I would. I wouldn't play with Brooklyn because that's cheating. I would probably play with the Utah Jazz, just because I feel like Donovan Mitchell could probably dominate if given the opportunity. On two K, he could, but you know Utah is one of those teams you just don't choose, no matter how good they are. They've always been boring. Like I remember on NBA Jams, like I would hate when I would have to play against Karl Malone and John Stockton. It just felt like they were cheating for some reason. <laughs> like they were always cheating. Uh, there's no way Carl Malone should be that good when he's eight feet tall and 700 pounds. But uh, if you don't, I just want to jump right into the interview. Uh, just would you mind introducing yourself a little bit about your background um, and how you ended up uh, being out here in Taiwan? All right. Uh, I'm KG. I'm from Detroit, Michigan. Um, I have a family of two brothers, one sisters, eight nieces and nephews. I'm the only one without kids. I studied business in college. Um, me studying business in college led me to Houston, Texas, 
where me and my brother learned how to build websites and start our own business by building websites. And since I started moving at a young age, after like the Mike Brown situation, I wanted to keep moving, but this time I wanted to move out of the country. So my cousin-in-law was telling me about the Peace Corps, which I did have an offer to go to the Peace Corps in Mexico, but I feel like that was a little too close to home. So I started searching other ways to get abroad and teaching English came up. And my first offer was in Brazil, but the salary was too low. Second offer was to China. Salary is high. So I ended up moving to China first. I stayed there about a year and a half and I really didn't like how everything is like blacked out. I didn't like the people's mentality. So I started searching for countries that can um, that also speak Chinese because I learned Chinese in China. And that's how I ended up in Taiwan. And now I've been here for about four years and one month. Was there a reason why you didn't really take the offer in Brazil? Or did you look into any other uh, offers or opportunities there? Or were you kind of dead set on, on coming into Asia? Uh, Brazil was my number one choice. But the climate of like violence and crime. I, I have some Brazilian friends. They're telling me like when you're outside, you can't have your phone out. Cause somebody might run and snatch it. And um, the salary was also too low. I believe the salary needs to be high enough to where if I need to buy a plane ticket and get out of there, I should be able to do that in Brazil. It's probably like 500 US, 600 US. This wasn't enough. Oh, wow. And you come from a big family and I kind of do too. Again, I'm the only one other than my younger sister who's just too young to have kids, but I'm the only one. I have eight nieces and nephews too, and I don't have any kids. Uh, but, but like, was it hard for them to, uh, like when you actually decided you wanted to leave the country and live in another part of the world, like, was it hard to kind of break away from family or was it something that they kind of encouraged you to do? Um, you were, you know, looking forward to leaving and living abroad. Uh, it wasn't that difficult for my family. They knew I had it in me because when I was 18, I moved away to college. When I was 21, I moved to uh, Houston, Texas. That's a 21-hour drive away. So when I said I was moving to China, it more so was like, will you be safe versus why? The only person who had a problem was like, well, not a problem, but was worried was my sister and her kids, my nephews, because I was closest with them and I kind of like helped raise them since they were babies. So I know when I, because I lived in China, I studied abroad for six months and I eventually moved there. But I remember when I first went, uh, I was what, 21 years old, I want to say. And I really didn't have any expectation for what China would be like, right? I just imagined it as another place because at that point in time, I hadn't traveled out of the country other than to Egypt and a few other places. But like, what was your expectation? Like, what did you think China would be like when you were thinking of moving there uh, versus what it was actually like when you physically got into the country and started living there? Well, I had a very American expectation. I thought it was going to be cows walking around and Kung Fu. But it weren't no cows and it was no Kung Fu there. So I was confused. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, I was really surprised that they had cities 10 times more developed in the U.S. That was mind-blowing to me. In my mind, I thought the U.S. was just the powerhouse of development. 
leaders of the free world. They were just so ahead of time, but that was mind blowing when I got over there and saw that, man, this looked like California on steroids. <laughs> Wait, so what, what part of China were you in? I was in Hunan. That's like north of Guangzhou. Okay. It's and like, was the, the smaller? So, like, was the nightlife and the social life similar to what you see here in Taiwan, or what would you describe it as being more vibrant? Ah, uh, it was it was super Chinese. Like, they have their own own style there. Um, like, let me see. It's like um, the Twilight Zone. It, there's a um, there's a skit on Key and Peele's called Laugh My Ass Off Party. It's like when you walk in the party, it's the same thing over and over and over. The same music. The DJ doesn't really DJ. You just see people in the uh, corner getting sloppy drunk. They throw up. Then they do it again the next day. Oh, that's the other thing. They do it every single day. It's not like you wait to the weekend. It's like, hey, KG, it's Monday. Let's go out. Hey, KG, it's Tuesday. When I first moved there, we went out every day for two months straight. Wow. And I had to look wow. in the mirror like, I'm on some crackhead shit right now. I need to <laughs> relax. <laughs> you know, that's that's very similar to my like experience in Beijing. Because, again, I didn't drink before I went. Well, I had maybe one or two drinks before I went to Beijing because I didn't drink till I was 21. But when I lived there and I was in, in college, it was again for I remember it. It was eight consecutive weeks. Every day we went out and we drank in some capacity. It was either like a brunch yeah. drink or like a nighttime thing. But it was Monday to Sunday. It was always a reason to go out and eat and drink. And I was like, man, like you said, it was after eight weeks. I'm like, first, I'm spending way too much money. Uh, yeah, U.S. <laughs> currency was was pretty good back then. Cause, you know, shout out to Obama. But um, like it was still a lot. It's a considerable amount of money when you're buying, you know, pitchers and towers of beer and you're powering through it and you're buying people shots like it is. It is very different. So when you were thinking about uh, so when when your time in China was up, like, were you interested in Taiwan before you even knew about it? Or were you looking at other places in Asia? Like what made you decide to instead of going somewhere else in China to actually say, you know what? Taiwan is the place for me. I'm going to move here. Um, well, I was just done with China because I got into some legal problems. I ended up going to jail there because um, China have a lot of secret laws that even the locals do not know about. And one of the laws I broke was traveling without checking in with the police. So every time you travel, you go to a hotel, usually the hotel will register you with the police. If the hotel does not register you, you're supposed to go register yourself. But I didn't know that, and I didn't know the hotel didn't know that. So um, I ended up traveling back to that city, and they had a, it was a guy walking around undercover policeman and he put his phone in my face and said is this you i said yeah then he was like you gotta come to the police station so he didn't say i have to come now he just said i have to come so i ended up going a week or two later and they were just telling me i was in the city illegally so when i wanted to leave i wanted to get out the country so pretty much it ended with me bribing them about a thousand U.S. dollars to give me my passport back and give me a visa to leave. So when I was looking for other countries, it was like, OK, I just learned this language. I, I do not feel like learning Japanese or Korean. And 
another thing I was looking for are freedom countries. And that's when Taiwan start popping up. Wait, so I think uh, the, the beginning of your story kind of cut out a little bit. So you said uh, when you travel, you have to register at the con and the, for the city you're traveling to. I think I think that uh, that, that was the part that we kind of missed out on. Yeah, you have to travel uh, every city you travel, no matter how big or small, you have to register with the police in China. Every city you go to, no matter how big or small, you have to register with the police. Oh, Usually okay. the hotel will register your passport, but this hotel was a little janky and they just didn't register me. And because it was a smaller city, no foreigners, I'm black walking through there. Everybody was taking pictures and that's how the police end up uh, getting the photo of me. That, I did not know that. I went to a bunch of different. Well, I guess I never I never stayed at a different hotel. I always stayed in the same city. Oh, that's interesting. That's good information. So I wonder if that's still like if that's still the case for people who do travel there at all. I've met, but yeah, so like, um, like once you can't, I've met a few other people who went to jail for that same reason. So I feel like that's one of those laws they use to keep to their advantage for that bribery money. Oh, I see. So it's like a way to bribe and con people out of money too. So you didn't know you had to register, so I'm gonna take you to jail, and you're gonna pay me money to be released. Is that huh? Ass. I yeah, no. Again, <laughs> I was told you like China is a. It was a cool place to visit when I did, but living there uh, is not is not something that I would you know not not something that I would do anyway. Um, but yeah, so like when when you came to Taiwan, like what is something or what are some of the things that actually you know kept you here, uh, and what's kept you here for what going on almost four years now? Um, at the beginning, I was kind of ready to get out of here, but I didn't live in Taipei. I lived in New Taipei City smaller area called Sansha. So it's pretty much just a suburb. Um, I didn't really get a visual of Taipei until about four to five months into me living here. So I didn't see black people. Only other foreigner I saw was a French dude because he lived in my building. So I thought Taiwan was just a no man's land until <clears throat> one night I went out to, uh, I think the nightclub, at that time, it's called Wave, and somehow we end up meeting some people that led us to Triangle. And then I met my friend Leandra, and she's black. And I'm like, damn, it's black people here. <laughs> and then she and then she introduced me to pretty much at that time ninety percent of the black people I knew at that time. And then that's when I knew, like, oh, okay, that's not too bad. I think I could stick around a little bit longer. So what's keeping me here is probably the safety, the freedom. Um, I like that we have the freedom to explore different careers. Like, as you know, I do basketball coaching too, DJing on the side, throw events. So I like that we have that much freedom to move around, um, to try new things. And in Taiwan, they actually can work. It's not... You don't have to hustle too hard like back in the U.S. just to try something, you know, new. You know, like, so uh, are you talking about Lily? Lily? Yeah. I think. Yeah. OK, Lily. Yeah. And the funny thing was, like, the first when I first met black people other than Patrick, who I kind of live with and I hired him to come, uh, it was at a Snoop Dogg concert. And it was um, it was Moonbeam and a, a woman named Saeed. I, I think you might have met Saeed when you were here or when she was here. Um, and you know, I was like, man, there's other black people here. And I was like, you know what? I might be able to stay a little bit longer, especially, you know, having other black women around because 
It ain't nothing like a black woman. They are. They are amazing. <laughs> but so like that was one way in which you uh, built community here in Taiwan. You found community. But like on your own, like outside of other people, uh, what steps have you taken to kind of build your own community? Um, and then and in and what ways have you been able to do that? Um, I think at the beginning, it was through brothers and sisters of Taiwan. Shout out to Stephanie. I made it a point to like, every time a new person came in, I didn't want them to feel like how I felt when I was first here, like isolated. You don't know if black people here or not. You don't know where they at. Like I hated that feeling. So when a lot of people are like messaging that group, hey, I'll be there. Hey, I'm coming. Such, such time. I would send them a welcoming message. Like if you need anything, hit me up. So that was like the the start of it. Um, and then I think after that, it was just like that Maji Square area going to Triangle and just meeting people because the the community, the international community here is so friendly and uh, opening to where you can walk up and talk to anybody, figure out where they're from uh, without it being like a hostile environment. Like, I feel like back home, you walk up to a random person, it might be a problem, like, like, what's up, nigga? Like, but here it's like, what's up, nigga? Damn, you here too? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know what? That actually, like, I think that's something that I also tried to do when I was, you know, hiring teachers to come out here. Was once they came, I would just have like these parties where we would just connect them, not only with you know black people here on the island, but also locals, just so they can kind of go out and find themselves and figure out, you know, what kind of things they're interested in and so on and so forth. But yeah, I mean. Uh, I didn't like I didn't really utilize the brothers and sisters group because it just wasn't I think it it wasn't around when I first came, but it has been like a valuable asset for us to like, you know, to have and to like do things so, like what if what what have been some of the best events or activities or gatherings that you've either planned or been a part of that you think has kind of helped us as black people on the island build community uh, and become closer with one another and really figure out how to live and thrive just as black people here in Taiwan? Uh, not to be too biased, but I think the best event I've been a part of, and then I feel like was the best for Black people was that first time I did something with you guys at Arts and Crafts. I think that was the most Black people that ever came out to anything I have done. So I think that was the number one best thing. And then I think the second best was that first time we met was when we, um, it was a uh, Moonbeam was doing a fundraiser for the Caribbean countries. Mm. I think that was. Oh best. yeah. She I was doing that. that. Yeah. And that's where it was just like 90% black people. And that's the thing, like, Moonbeam's been out here, I think, either one year less than I have, but she's, uh, she's hella connected, because she's been in Taipei the entire time. Like, I know, I know you were kind of off in the, in the burbs, and I was all the way in Donshui, which is, for those of you guys listening, that's like the northernmost tip of, or the most tip of Taiwan, where it's really away from thing, but yeah. I think, like, the events at Arts and Crafts, like, I think it was the most diverse group of black people I've seen gathered in Taiwan at one 
time. I think it was it was a great collaborative effort because I know we couldn't have had that crowd. You guys been there, um, and it was just a, a great opportunity to just support the only black owned, hundred percent black owned bar and business out here in Taiwan. Uh, it was just it was a great time. I really enjoyed that too. Um, so, do you ever get homesick? Like, do you ever miss home, or are you planning on going back home at any point in time? Uh, I get homesick, like seeing my nephews like grow up through Facebook is a little depressing. But um, we have a family group, so we talk like every day, video chat at least like once a week. So now I'm I'm getting used to you know having like a digital relationship with my family. Last year I was supposed to go back home just to go to my aunt's wedding, so that would have been like a family reunion, but course of because of covid they uh, canceled all our flights and gave us our refunds so this summer if everything's good i'm gonna go back home and try to like release some pressure off my father because he run all the family businesses so he's getting older and i can tell that he doesn't really want to do it so i want to try to set him up digitally get him a new manager to where he doesn't have to be there all the time but i don't plan on staying there definitely coming back yeah that's hey <laughs> is there any particular reason that you don't want to like move back home and stay there long term it's like is taiwan a longer term home or is it like no nah, i'm cool on america i'd rather do other things yeah i'm just cool on america like beyond the racism i think like when you move abroad the mindset of like us and the other people we know out here it's just it's too different to go back home like it would be it would be difficult to mold myself back into the American economy right now. Well, so like when you say economy, you mean like the way in which money is created or how it's spent or just like the overall environment of being American and the American cultural system there? Overall, going to work, how to get money, the cultural aspect, the black community. I feel like the reason why the black community is on a slow progression instead of a quick progression is because we try to stay there and find our kingdom. But we can find our kingdom abroad. You can be a, a millionaire in Taiwan. You can be you can be like arts and crafts, come open a bar in a different country. You don't have to do it in America, but since that's the biggest stage and you know we competitive, we want to be on the biggest stage and be the best on the biggest stage. That's why we hold on to the US um, so long, even though the U.S. doesn't even love us back. Well, actually, I actually never thought about it like that. Uh, I mean, I've I've, I've kind of talked about it in some ways, like in varying ways throughout other podcasts I've done. But it's just like, all right, the idea that you know America is even for us, like you know, we we meet people in Taiwan who always say like, I want to go to America because it's great and it's big and it's you know money's there and it's like the way you guys live is just so great. I think even sometimes for ourselves, like we kind of we kind of idolize even being American and living there and growing up there. We kind of idolize the quote unquote American dream. And like, we're always trying striving to try to attain that. Whereas, you know, even people who are American that are of different cultural backgrounds and have different experiences, they've been able to travel and see the world. Right. So even their own conception of the American dream isn't necessarily to achieve and be a successful American, but it's to be a cultured American or a well-traveled American, right? There's different layers to what it means to be, 
live the American dream. But if you're only exposed to one way, because what you see on TV and how we're taught in our own communities, um, then it's hard to kind of break out of that and realize that, hey, I can create community and family. And, you know, like you said, kingdoms in different places around the world, because we are people of the world. And this isn't and wasn't our original home anyway. So going other places kind of makes sense. And it's actually okay to not actually just stay in America. So like what passions have you discovered or rediscovered while you've been living here in Taiwan or, 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 or even through your time spent in China as well? Um, I would say DJ is something I found in Taiwan and it solely was because of, uh, the DJs here just wasn't that good to me. I mean, like technical, they're good at DJing, but the songs they were choosing just wasn't that good. So they wouldn't, they weren't playing the right type of hip hop, pretty much. So that's how I got into DJing. Rediscovering, I would say coding. Like before I came to Asia, I was super into coding. I wanted to know everything about coding. But then I moved to China, started teaching. I took a break. But then these past two years, I got back into it. And currently, I'm learning uh, JavaScript and Python and stuff because I want to. I want to get back into it, probably have like a remote job behind it. Did I bleep out? No, 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 you're still oh, here. Because okay. I mean, uh, it sounds like you're, you're involved in a lot of different things. I know, again, with the coding and then with DJing and then coaching basketball and then teaching. So like, how do you balance all those things in addition to maintaining the social life, um, going to work uh, and also just, just finding and doing some other things that you have to do on a daily basis, just being an expat out here in Taiwan? Um, well, I think the way I kind of like run my life now is how I've always been moving. So for example, when I was in college full time, I was also a full time manager at Chuck E. Cheese. So I never stopped like really working. And I think, I think that's a bad and a good trait because I feel like the way we grow up is we feel like we have to overwork ourselves just to get to the next point. So after this year, I am planning to slow something down. I got to get rid of one of these things, which will probably be DJ. Because I have more love for coaching basketball and coding than DJ. But um, so, I, mean, I really maintain it. Is I just keep everyone involved. So no matter what I do, like pretty much like the 2K night we had yesterday is the people I hang with when we go party and stuff like that. Try to keep it wholesome. Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. And be sure to add our podcast in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. So, I mean, I know because I know I recently started uh, doing a little basketball coaching as well. Well, not necessarily coaching, but I guess it is coaching. I, I, it's more training than actual coaching because you're not like I'm not necessarily running a full team. Like, what has that experience been like working with students who I don't know if you work with students who are native English speakers um, or who have, you know, a, a basic understanding of English. But what's it been like just working with those kids? What are some of the problems you've had or some of the successes? Is it easier? Is it easier than, than you thought it would be or is it more difficult? Uh it's been pretty easy so far, but I do, I do have to recognize that they don't have the abilities that we have. So 
when I first started coaching, I had an expectation that they can do the stuff we could do at that age, but they're pretty much like two and three years behind when it comes to like athletic abilities. So um, at, at the beginning stage, it was a little difficult because the parents, they baby their kids. They don't want you to be too rough with them. So we got to explain to them why we got to be rough with them. The parents prefer like you playing games with them instead of like skills training. So we got to explain why we got to get them skills training. So the first two months was a little rough, but uh, now they kind of like see our vision and they roll with it. And I do want to say that the the basketball school is black owned. So my boss is black and that makes it even better too. Yeah, because I mean, communication is very important. And also, again, like you said, just the structure of it. I know um, like that was one of the big things when I first started coaching too is I didn't necessarily like the lack of intensity, uh, you know, that came with it. But I also had to realize I'm like, you know, in America, these kids, the kids that I would work with when we played basketball, a lot of us, I mean, myself included, thought that we could either not necessarily make it to the NBA, but there was like something I could benefit from playing basketball very well. I can get a college scholarship. You know, I could be playing on the high school team, on the varsity team, you know, and, and, and always be around the cheerleaders, which I end up doing anyway. But uh, like there was always something like something, a way in which you could benefit, you know, from being good at basketball, whether it was in academics or just in your personal and social life. But here, at least some, at least some of the students that I work with, like a lot of them aren't on the basketball team. Uh, they only play for fun at the park. So it's not as like they're not as invested in it because for them and especially for their parents, they don't see what the payoff is at the end. It's like, yeah, like they can be good at basketball. And, and then exercise. what? Yeah, it's like it's a way for them to get physically fit. But like, that's it. I don't see anything from that. So I know my big thing was the lack of teamwork. I hated that. Like none of them. And I guess we did that, too. Like they don't like passing the ball. They don't understand that the more you pass, them, oh, the easier no. it is to score. Like. Drives me crazy. I'm like, man, pass the ball. You first of all, you can't dribble that well, and you're looking at the floor. <laughs> so, pass the ball. Dri drives me crazy. Shooting that bitch every time. <laughs> Getting the ball, going to the basket, buckets. But they never, they never make it. But um, I will say, like, I enjoy. Like, do you enjoy working with the younger kids, like the little ones? Because I work with. I, I'm not gonna lie. I like my six, seven, or eight year olds because they be listening. They can't shoot that well and they can't dribble, but they listen and like they actually you can see the progress. That uh, that nine to twelve age range, though, for me, the worst kids ever could do without them. But the fourteen to seventeen is like when I actually can play with them and play against them and like push them. So I do enjoy the young, the little little ones, and then the big ones. Like, has your experience been the same with the age levels or or different? Uh, it's been the same with basketball and teaching. It's something about that like nine to twelve to where they're trying to figure out their personalities, and it's like. If they want to do it, they do it. If they don't want to do it, it's going to be known that they don't want to do it. But that younger group, uh, they just happy to be a part of something. So <laughs> if you tell them to do something, they they want you to give them them high fives. They want some affirmation spoken to them, some good jobs and stuff, and it makes them work harder. And then, like you said, that older group, they're at the stage where they know they want to play basketball, so they go out and work hard. But yeah, same. That nine to twelve, they some little assholes. Man, they suck. Man, it's like it's 
because I have, you know, six hours a day on uh, on Saturday and Sunday. And it's like the first two is little kids and little kids like they still require a lot of energy because like you said, it's high five and good job. Yeah, you're going to make the basket next year. I hope whatever. Uh, but it's a lot of talking. And then when the middle group comes, it's like they just drain you because it's, hey, stop, sit down, come here. Hey, what you, you OK? You crying? You OK? Why are you crying? Why you, Your mom's there? OK, let me talk to you the whole time. And when the older kids come, I was like, all right, now I'm exhausted. But then I'm like, teacher, let's play one on one or let's play two on two. And I got to like, I'm not about to lose. So I got to like muster up energy to like drop, drop 25 and 12 on them. But yeah, it's uh, <laughs> like, like, I need to find a basketball league. That's what I'm saying. Like, I need to stop playing against uh, against high school kids. Because I mean, I'm not like the woman. There is a young woman. Uh, she was only 12. But yesterday she was passing out buckets like she was better than all the boys. And she 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 did cross me one time. I'm not gonna lie. Like she I, she came out of nowhere. So Ooh. again, it's uh like she yeah I don't know, she was watching too much Allen Iverson. I was I was like you know I'm a, I'm a coach coach you you ain't about to be crossing me up like that. But <laughs> it was it was a good experience. Um, dating. Uh, did you did you have a chance to do any dating in China? And then uh, like what's the difference dating in you know let's focus on Taiwan like dating in Taiwan versus dating back home in America. Um, let's see. Uh, the, I don't want to call the women weaker, but they're more dependent here. So they're not independent enough to make decisions about their life. So that transferred to their dating life, too. So, you know, here in Taiwan, their parents pretty much run their life until they're about like 30 or married. And it, it really shows. So. It's it's kind of hard for them to, like, for example, if you want to have a guy's night out with a local Taiwanese girl who never seen anything outside of their own country, they might have a problem with it. To them, they probably just think you're about to go cheat. Very insecure. <laughs> if if you if they call at three in the morning, you don't answer. You out cheating. You're not sleeping. You cheat. Like what the hell? <laughs> so, I think um, I was I was pretty much done with dating locals, but then I met Lillian. The Lillian grew up in Toronto, so the culture is one and the same of Detroit. So she kind of um, we're kind of on the same page with everything when it comes to like dating and uh, you know what we can and can't like, do. In the uh, relationship. I- have you had the opportunity to date uh, foreigners? Well, like we don't have to talk in depth about it, but like, have you had an experience with dating uh, foreigners that have been uh, like abroad while you've been abroad? Because I mean, I have, and I, I, I can also understand like your perspective on uh, you know dating the, just the local people here. Just there is there is a big cultural difference when dating. I think in any culture, but specifically, um, and where I think socially before I don't necessarily want to say now, but I know when I first came socially because social media wasn't as big um the way in which we lived as americans socially was just so very different uh than the women that i dated uh when i first came because like you said things like guys night and uh like i had somebody tell me like hey uh you can't date me if uh and uh and be patrick's friend and i'm like so you mean to say i have to choose between you and my best friend that's like the only black person i know out here and she like yeah and then, like, we didn't talk anymore after that. So I'm like, exactly. like, like, don't make like, it too easy for me. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, oh, this, and I'm like, are you serious? Like, it was a really in depth conversation. So I think it's just like, like, yeah, because like, you guys have too much fun, and when you go out, uh, I'm afraid, like, you know, that you'll meet other girls. And I'm like, that's an interesting way to think about it. Um, but 
uh, I understand you. I hear you, but I'm not going to stop having a social life because of, you know, your fear, uh, and your, you know, just your, your way of thinking, but we can talk about it and we can, you know, work through a way to reach an understanding. Like, have you had any other experiences outside of, you know, locals and, um, your now love? Uh, yeah, I, I didn't really like date, date him, but I mean, I fucked around with him. I pr- pretty much foreigners in Taiwan just here for the thrills, not necessary to get into any type of thing. I would be surprised if I see two foreigners actually together on some long-term shit. But, I mean, it's pretty much just play-play when you're a foreigner here, because most of them students, they're here for a year, and then they, you know, they tucking out, so they're not really trying to lock down anything. And know it, like, I've written, I've written papers on dating, which is why I kind of brought it up, but I've actually... I don't think I know maybe one or two foreigners who are couples uh, like like Cindy and her boyfriend uh, who are couples that have like our long term couples and will probably be together for an extended period of time. I think you're right. I haven't met any two foreigners that kind of dated. Uh, th- well, foreigners that didn't come to Taiwan already dating or didn't meet in other countries and then come here. I don't think like I wonder why that is. Why foreigners don't meet each other in Taiwan and say, hey, I want to date you uh, other than like I'm leaving soon or man, this is a. Oh, that's interesting. That's a different question for a different day. I only know one, uh, Nini and Clifton. And yeah. Engaged. Yeah. Wait, they they met in Taiwan. Yep, they've been in Taiwan. Huh. Interesting. So, if if you could live pretty much anywhere else, uh, on uh, anywhere else in the world, like I don't know, like I don't know how many countries you've traveled to or other places you've been. Like, is there another destination outside of Taiwan in America that you could see yourself living in that you've been really interested in, just exploring and kind of seeing what uh, what kind of life or lifestyle you could have in that particular place? Um, ever since I started researching about working and living abroad. I always fell back to Tanzania. Hmm. So when I first moved to Taiwan, I got that job in Sansha, New Taipei City. I also had an offer to go to Tanzania the next year to be a teacher there. Um, But that didn't fall through because of the whole salary situation and my paranoia of having enough money to just get out but yeah tanzania has been on my list like i feel like i can retire there i'm about to look into tanzania because i know somebody who went there and they took a photo and it looked it looked beautiful it reminded me a lot of taiwan it's like beaches and sand and warm weather um but i know for me it was it was always new zealand because like just the, the clean air the freshness um, there is a small black population I found in the southern part, which is where I want to live anyway. And they all brown and they all cook like real food and it's delicious. But um, yeah, like that's been one of the places I want to go to. But Tanzania sounds sounds interesting. But like for someone who's never been to Taiwan, right? And I know uh, you're from Detroit. I'm from Chicago. It's kind of close, but also very, very different, uh, different place and very different experiences. Um, how would you describe uh, just, you know, as simply as you can, what it's like to just be a black man, in today's time, a black man living in Taiwan. Um, first word I use is freedom. Like you, you have the freedom to be black here. It's no vindiction against you for being black. You don't have to be hostile. You could be nice. Everybody here can be like Jaden Smith and his sister. We can be free. We can explore. We don't feel. We don't have to be the toughest person in the room. We don't have to be the best basketball player. We don't have to be the best rapper. We don't have to be the best singer, the best dancer. 
You could simply just live your life and be free. If you're into art, go do that. If you're vegetarian, you can express that. LGBTQ community, you can express that without being judged about you being black first. Now, they're probably going to think you could do some of the black people stuff, but they're not going to hold against you if you're not that good at basketball. You simply could be a human here. Yeah, I'm, I'm, all, I'm always surprising people because I'm not the, the largest, the tallest of people, but I put the rock in my hand. I'm definitely going to drop some points. But no, I mean, that's... <laughs> I mean, um, you know, it's, it, I'm glad to hear that because, I mean, for me, again, when I came, I didn't live in Taipei, like, similar to you, but I know when I came, uh, when I first in 11 years ago and uh, when I'm walking in and then parents were like, oh, he's black because I spoke Chinese very well at the time and I understood what they were saying. Like, oh, he's black. Are you sure he's from America? Did you check his passport? Uh, and these were the parents saying that at a private school. So again, uh, uh, right. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, yeah. And then the principal was like, you know, but I had a very good principal and good leadership. And they were like, hey, they pretty much shut it all down. And they used that time to actually educate the parents about the diversity in our team. So I always tell the story. I'm like, hey, yeah. When I first came, you know, 11 years ago, it wasn't, they didn't, they were more open about it because it related to their kids. Um, but like you said, out on the street, they wouldn't necessarily say those things. Like the stereotypes will always be there. Like we get stereotyped pretty much, every, black American men, especially pretty much everywhere we go, no matter what, even in America. And especially out here when it comes to like basketball and stuff like that. But um, the more we've, the more, the more we've been here and the more we've been able to educate them and expose them to the differences among us has been powerful. Cause like I had an all black staff at one point of 10 foreign teachers, but all of us, we have people from the Caribbean islands, from America, uh, from South America, it's like from everywhere. So there was so much diversity just in that team. But I don't think I would have been able to do that had I not had, you know, a Taiwanese person that was able to, you know, drop the knowledge uh, with me um, and educate the parents and then even more people about uh, the differences in us and how, you know, it's okay to, to be black. Don't be scared. We're we're people here, but I just, I do think that that's something that has been had grown in Taiwan. It wasn't how it started many years ago, for just you know for a variety of different reasons. But uh, I guess my last question would be, um, uh, do you why? Um, oh, sorry. What do you like most about Taiwan? Like, what's one thing that you could point out about it that? Um, you could say this is why this is something that I love about Taiwan that I'm sure people who came here would also really enjoy as well. I wouldn't say it's anything cultural about Taiwan because I feel like Taiwan has become a melting pot for people our age. I would say simply the freedom to express. Hmm. That's a good way to think about it. I'm with that too. I do like that. I mean, especially with the. Oh yeah, can you talk a bit about the like about the the rally that you guys planned last year um, for the uh, um, the what was it called? I'm sorry, I'm trying oh, to the, the Black Solidarity. Yeah, the, the Peace and Solidarity rally is is like is, is is that what you mean when you say uh, freedom to express? Like, uh, is that one of the ways in which you mean uh, the freedom to express? Yeah, that's one of the ways. So, so last year we did put together put together a Black Lives Matter rally um, after the George Floyd situation. And me, in my mind, I just thought we would get so much flag, so much pushback from the government and for the locals. But I mean, it was thousands of people that showed up, hit every news channel and had very minimum backlash. The backlash came from old white people which we don't care about their opinion anyways. 
Like, yeah. But the locals were for her. Even like at my school, they were like, oh, we we seen you on TV. We seen the rally and we support you and stuff. Uh, uh, next time you guys do something, we would come. We didn't know you were uh, a part of it. But if you do do something like that, all of the teachers will come. Like That support is so genuine and natural here. Like when you find some locals who care about you, they really care about you. It's not like a half type of care. They really like take you in and make you a part of their little uh, family under their umbrella. So you can express whoever you want to be or whatever you want to do without any type of backlash that'll make you want to stop doing it. You're not going to get persecuted for loving yourself and others or loving what you do. I'm with that. So are there uh, are there any questions or anything else you would like to add or talk about or any questions that you have for me? Um, uh, are you going to make this? When are you going to start making podcasts for YouTube? <laughs> I um, Well, I do. On YouTube, I just put up like travel videos and stuff like that. You mean like a video podcast or just like putting the podcast on YouTube? No, I'll do some like a black, uh, not black. Black Matter Breakfast Club type videos. Pretty sure some of your viewers want to see some faces. I think I, you and Erica should have been on video. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. You know what? Okay. I. I've always. I've. I'm not gonna lie. I've definitely been looking to, into doing that. I wanted to do that with Arts and Crafts. You know, pre-COVID when a lot of people left. And I know if we were in Taipei, I could get that done. You know, more often. Uh, to me, it's just it's just about getting the people, like the consistency with with just getting people and reliable people to kind of show up and do it. I mean, I know I could do it. Um, and I know Erica could do it because she lives down the street. Uh, and I know I can like, if I ask her, to, you know, if she says she's going to do something, she'll do it. But you know how it is sometimes like people say, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll do that. And then, you know, they're super busy and it's like hard to coordinate. Um, but I do, I wish I had a space in Taipei where I could host something like that. Or like, all right, every Friday I'll come up to Taipei and we link up. That is something that I do want to do. Um, I am looking into ways of doing that. I think that would be great for Taiwan. And I also think it'd be great to have people from different cities doing it, right? So like from Taichung, Taipei, and a few people from Taipei and then Taichung, maybe from like the South or from Xingqiu. But I think that would be pretty cool because I know Nini, her YouTube is kind of taking off as well. I think that would yeah, be a good definitely. And all these different artists and great people who are, you know, creating these platforms and kind of, you know, bring like, share and build with one another i think that'll be great but i'll actually reach out to some people about that i think that'd be cool yeah yeah set that up give us some visuals that's cool i'm about to think about that now man i need like a hundred thousand dollars so i can just (laughs) 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 not even i honestly just need like twenty thousand dollars because i'm like I, i could get it started i could i could definitely get it started i would just need uh to stop working on everything else i'm doing except podcasting um, so if anybody listening, y'all want to donate twenty thousand dollars to uh, the the Black Caucus in uh, in Taiwan, uh, myself, I will spearhead the project of Breakfast Club Taiwan uh, with with the visuals. Donated to his cash app KG two thousand. <laughs> <laughs> yes, does that, that cash app? Or if you're listening, you want to become a patron? Click on the patron link in the Podbean app or the link in this description where you become a patron of Black Expat Podcast and support all the amazing ideas that myself, KG, and many other Black people on the island have. But are there any other questions that you have? 
Uh no, nah, that's everything. Ain't nothing but love over here. Well, I appreciate you uh, waking up early after an amazing night out that I was super jealous of because I was in the bar and there's like five people here. But um, thank you for joining us here uh, on the Black Expat Podcast. Hope you have a great remainder of your Sunday. Um, and then I'll be sharing this episode probably in a, in a few weeks and I'll definitely send you the links and stuff for that. But again, thank you so much for being on. KG, really appreciate you being here. Ten, nine. Oh, eight, I pressed the wrong button, yeah. Seven. Sorry for this six, countdown. Five, four. <laughs> Three, two, one. Yeah, thanks, KG. There you go. I did the countdown and I put the clap in there, so it made sense now because I'm not editing that part out. Uh, but thank you so much for joining. I appreciate it. Stay highly favored and black. Yeah, you too, man. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thank you to everyone who tuned in to another episode of the Black Expat Podcast. Thank you so much for my guest, uh, KG, all the way from Detroit uh, through China and back here to Taiwan, where, again, every time I met him, I've had a great time. And he's an amazing individual, a very talented young man with a lot of knowledge. I mean, from trading to, you know, to DJing to uh, to coding to teaching to basketball. Um, he's, again, just an incredible multifaceted human. And I'm just honored and thankful that I've been able to meet and interview so many amazing people from uh, TT, from Coop, man, shout out to Coop, uh, and just everyone. I have a bunch of amazing interviews coming up this March, uh, every Sunday, same time. Check it out. I'll be interviewing two women from Spain in the upcoming two weeks, uh, one that started her own business, another that started her own podcast and focuses on mental wealth, mental health wealth and wellness for black women so please be sure to tune into that podcast it's going to be amazing and as always make sure you check out my youtube channel uh with my new videos i've uploaded and also become a patron of the podcast i do believe kg is right i I do want to produce something with some visuals, a breakfast club style thing where we invite guests on to talk about things and things that are going on around the island in Taiwan. So I will get on top of that uh, to help become a patron. One dollar, five dollars, twenty thousand dollars, whatever you want to donate uh, would be great. Uh, and definitely appreciate it as a way to keep the Black Expat, Black Expat podcast growing and glowing. So again, my name is Carl, the Black Expat. Thanks for rocking with me, y'all. We out, chill.